Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, whenever you're listening, and welcome to Tri-State at the Plate. I'm your host, Andy Burdick, joined today by the Ginger Prince of Baseball himself, Bob Finkbeiner. Bob, how are you? Once again, fantastic to be here. I am surprised that your response was not exhausted after your cross-country venture. I'm kind of a, uh, a trooper in that regard. You really, we are the exact opposite travelers. <laughs> we've now we've now driven in uh, cars multiple places together for extended periods of time. Not extended periods of time, for like trips that like like couple hour trips. Right. Uh, in a couple hour trip from Erie to Cleveland, I will fall asleep at about the halfway point of the trip. <laughs> And I would keep sleeping for as long as you keep driving. The only reason I wake up is because we have to stop to go to a baseball game. Uh, you are the exact opposite of that. You get in a car and it like jazzes you all up, doesn't it? It does, as long as I'm driving. <laughs> you should be... If I'm the passenger, I can easily go ahead and turn into Andy Burdick and fall asleep myself. <laughs> Just, I'm the worst co-pilot ever. I'm terrible. Don't rely on me for anything while you're driving, other than maybe some snoring uh, in the background. <laughs> terrible terrible co-pilot but uh you had a you had a great trip uh out west now i did i drove basically round trip right around uh 3600 miles got to meet your niece or my niece yeah my uncle for the first time yes that's exciting very exciting she's beautiful and got to see some baseball you're out there too yep i went to the pioneer league which is a rookie level uh minor league baseball game short season league i guess of the Grand Junction Rockies, obviously of the Rockies themselves. Beautiful ballpark, Splesio Field, about a 10-minute walk from our place we stayed at. Uh, had a crowd about 2,000 people. Good crowd, good game. It was a good time. That sounds like a fun trip. That's a, All in all, that's a pretty good trip for you, Bob. You got to okay. meet your uh, new niece, and you got to go watch some baseball. I did. And you got to drive. True. These are all things that you enjoy. Baseball, baseball, nieces, and driving. Three things that, if you didn't know about Bob, you now know that he enjoys all three of those things. Correct. Well, uh, I'm glad you made it back safe and sound. I missed you while you were gone. And while I was gone celebrating the birth of my niece, you also had a very big change of uh, events in life. Yeah. Boy, let me tell you. So I, I've, I've been an uncle now for, what, two and a half years. And being an uncle is great because... You get to go hang out with your niece or nephew. In my case, it's a nephew. I go hang out with my nephew. We play. We have fun. We throw some toys around, run around the yard. And then I just say, all right, see you later. And then I go home. And uh, now I am a dad to a bouncing baby boy named Dexter. And I love it. It is the most transformative experience I've ever had in my entire life. And you will learn so much about yourself by having a baby. But... I have never experienced this level of exhaustion in my life, Bob. I don't like I did there's I don't even know what day of the week it is right now. <laughs> I look outside and it's sunny and when I see that it's sunny, I know that it is sometime during the day between six in the morning and like nine o'clock at night. That's that's how I judge time. When it's dark I know it's past nine o'clock, but before six o'clock. <laughs> I bas I basically tell time now with uh my watch could have just two times on it. It could have after after sunset and after sunrise. That's what the two times are when you have a newborn in your house. Love it. It's great. It's awesome. It's amazing. But it is exhausting. Exhausting. So, yeah. Very, very exciting uh, last couple of days uh, on the Tri-State of Mind podcast. We're, uh, we're uh, very excited to be new uncles and new parents for sure. All right, you ready to talk about some baseball now that we got the baby talk out of the way? I feel like I feel like this is getting ready to turn into a Dr. Phil episode if we didn't get a move on. <laughs> I, was, I was getting a little weepy thinking about my son who's upstairs probably just screaming his head off uh, because that's what babies do. So uh, today we're going to talk about the Indians. We're going to be talking about the Pirates. We're going to tease an upcoming conversation that Bob and I are going to be having. Just that we're We're kind of whetting your appetites. But before we get to any of that, I want to talk about a good friend of the podcast, Alex Rodriguez. Some of you may be familiar with him. He is a, the designated hitter for the New York Yankees. And I guess we can't call him the designated hitter anymore, Bob. We have to call Alex Rodriguez the part-time designated hitter. 
Ooh. for the Yankees. I don't know. Did you hear about Alex Rodriguez's recent demotion? I did. So he's been benched now for a couple games in a row. And by the way, I for anybody who might be listening, I am being 100% facetious about this. I We can't stand Alex Rodriguez. I can't personally. I guess I shouldn't speak for Bob. But, I uh, also agree with you. <laughs> he just... He just reminds me of that kid in high school that just wanted to fit in so badly. He just like do anything to fit in. And he's still behaving like that after high school. Like he just wants to be loved so badly. <laughs> but he just doesn't know what real love is, Bob. That's that's how I feel about Alex Rodriguez. Alex Rodriguez behaves the way he does because he just wants to know what real love is, but he doesn't have it. So Alex Rodriguez uh, benched by Joe Girardi. Uh <clears throat> He's not going to be batting against what it sounds like. It's not. It's, it sounds like he's not going to be batting against right-handed pitching as much anymore. So he's kind of in this platoon situation. Now, ESPN reported that Joe Girardi has declined to say that Rodriguez is in a platoon, but he said he's going to be choosing carefully the matchups that Rodriguez is going to play against righties. So I don't know, read into the tea leaves, whatever you will. It sounds like Rodriguez is in a platoon. Now, my favorite part of this story is a quote from Alex Rodriguez, which is the the most Alex Rodriguez part of the story. Alex Rodriguez was quoted in this article as saying, you haven't heard the last of me. (laughs) It, it made me laugh so much when I read that, Bob, it (laughs) is the, I feel like that's just a really Alex Rodriguez thing to to do. Did like do other like do people in real life say things like that? Have you ever heard anyone say anything like that in real life, Bob? Here's the thing. Yes, but the context is or has been on their way out. Uh, I was so. gonna I was gonna say maybe the context was in like a Clint Eastwood movie or something. Ooh, that's good. Like too. a like a like a Rocky and Bullwinkle episode. You haven't heard the last of me. Yeah, maybe like a maybe a cartoon character. I was gonna say, is this foreshadowing perhaps the Yankees possibly just releasing him? Uh how much how much longer is he under contract for? Is this, this his last year? year? Next, <clears throat> this year and one more year. So through his age forty one season? Yeah. What does he have? Twenty so he's he's like what? Like twenty million dollar player, twenty some million dollars. Yes. Um, wow, I don't know. Would they would they just release Alex or you guys with, you know, they have the balance of this year plus the twenty million dollars they owe him next year. I would love for them to do that because he's not good. <laughs> he's not good, and uh, and you know what, Carlos Beltran is good, and could probably use legitimate time at DH. Right. I mean, they have. They have Aaron a, Judge. Right, that's what I was going to say. And you're holding back Judge because, you know, you're having to stick Beltran in the outfield. Um, Judge, yeah, I mean, he's shown that he, I think he's major league ready. He doesn't have a whole lot left to prove down in the minors. That's interesting. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think that they would just outright release him? I, I wonder because I know he has home run performance escalators in his contract. And he's, what, five away from 700, I think? Yeah. So do they kind of wait their time to then and then say, okay, thanks very much, goodbye? Or are they worried about making the wild card and saying, you know what, we can't make the wild card with you batting in our lineup? That's an interesting point. I mean, I guess if you're thinking about it strategically from a purely financial perspective, that... I mean, the money that you owe Alex Rodriguez in his contract, that's gone regardless. The sunk cost, yeah. Right. So you have to look at that and you're just kind of like, well, we're eating that no matter what. So if we're getting this poor of a performance out of Rodriguez currently, like, does it make sense to cut him before those escalators start kicking in? Because it's probably like, what is it, like a million dollar pay bump every time he hits one of those, I would wait. I just found it. It is, uh, he'll make $6 million dollars. Once he reaches 714 home runs. Ooh, 6 million. Yeah. Ooh, jeez. <laughs> but, I mean, 714, you're looking at 19 home runs away. That's not a guarantee for a Rodder now. Right. Yeah, I, oh boy. If you're the Yankees, I would think, yeah. 
I mean, it's not that they really care about money, but I mean, I think they care about not having to give Alex Rodriguez money. Yeah, they're in a, a precarious situation now where they're sort of trying to win now, but also they have pieces to retool too. Right. You heard a lot of rumors recently about, you know, is um, Andrew Miller on trading block? Possibly, possibly not. Not sure. Chapman. Chapman, possibly, yeah. Yes, not, not sure. So I don't know what, what they're going to do here. I mean, Alex Rodriguez has he has negative value to the Yankees right now. He's hurting the Yankees when he's playing. So I guess, I mean, if you look at it from, I guess if I were looking at Alex Rodriguez and, and determining whether it makes sense to keep him around, I'd be thinking more of the financial impact. Well, how about this too? If you were a, a big apple person, okay. Did you go to the ball game to watch him play or do you go to the ball game just to watch your favorite team play? Yeah. Right, that's true. No one's going to the stadium for Alex Rodriguez yeah. anymore. They're past that point now, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think he destroyed goodwill pretty much everywhere in baseball. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, wow, that's interesting. It'll be uh, fun to... I shouldn't say fun. It'll be uh, interesting to watch what the Yankees do and how they handle this. I don't know. I still can't get over you haven't heard the last of me. That's... Sounds like Snidely Whiplash. I imagine him twirling a mustache while he's saying that. (laughs) (laughs) You haven't heard the last of me. Okay, enough about A-Rod. You ready to talk about some real baseball? Sure. All right, Bob, we're going to talk about, we're leading off today with the Cleveland Indians. We're going to mix it up a little bit. The red hot Cleveland Indians. Yeah, the the division leading Cleveland Indians. So, Bob, what is going on in Tribe Town with the Indians? You mean Teletown? (laughs) Yes. Uh, of course, obviously the, I guess the uh, the mood, the attitude, the temperament of the Cavs coming back from three one down has somehow inflicted the Indians. They're saying, whoa, 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 what about us? And they have now since won the last nine straight games in a row. They're looking for a. They're bringing another title to Cleveland. I sure hope so. This this will be fantastic. Uh, there's no real major transactions that have transpired since our last podcast. They do continue to sign members of the 2016 draft class and place them in various affiliates, Arizona, you know, or Mahoning Valley, whatever else it is. Uh, the Michael Brantley update really isn't one, besides he got a cortisone shot to help his bicep tendinitis recently. He supposedly is making progress, and that's basically all we know. It sounded... So the whole Brantley situation has been really interesting to follow, especially as someone who, you know, like I followed the tribe. I enjoy watching the Indians whenever they're not playing the same time as the Pirates. But, you know, I don't have my finger on the pulse to Cleveland like like you and Jason do. But it seemed like at the beginning of the season, we were overwhelmingly positive about Michael Brantley. And then, oh, yeah. you know, he came off the DL and he was back in like, I guess, a faster timetable than everyone had expected. And now that he's back on the shelf, it seems like the exact opposite that Cleveland uh, wanted to happen has kind of transpired with Michael Brantley, which is he came back, he got healthy, he was playing, and then he had to go back on the DL, and now it's dragging dragging out again, um, you know, his return to the field. It is, but at the same time, we're not really hearing a lot about him because the rest of the guys have... I must want to say like overperformed, but they performed better than expected this season in the outfield. And we're getting solid production from Rajay Davis, Tyler Naquin. Oh, Naquin. Maris, Lyon Chisenhall. They've more than adequately done a great job filling in for production lost by Brantley. Yeah, so I mean, I guess it hasn't hurt as bad, but. I mean, do I want a brilliant lineup? Absolutely. My fantasy team would appreciate it, too. As mine would also. Mostly that's where all my sadness relating to Michael Brantley comes from. A <laughs> hey, quick note. Um, there were two injuries recently suffered by the <clears throat> Indians uh, Big Club, and they were of the, I guess, odd variety. Oh, gentlemen. This. Plug your ears, gentlemen. Yes, there was not one, but two testicular contusion injuries. Ugh. Deep breaths. <laughs> <laughs> deep breath 
suffered by Jan Gomes and Juan Uribe, who, by the way, Uribe got a 106-mile-per-hour ground ball <laughs> to the area. Who Do you remember who hit the ground ball? Was it like Giancarlo Stan or something like that? Someone just lasered I, it down there. I think I it was the who Angels who game. Was it? Yeah. yeah. Angels. And, you know, as he's squirming on the ground, I think I want to say Cleveland showed the replay like once or twice. <laughs> took 10 minutes to get him off the field. Oh, my God. So he's just squirming on the ground. And every now and then, you know, like all the guys are surrounding him. The camera would peek over to Francisco Lindor, and <laughs> Lindor is just laughing. <laughs> poor, poor Juan Uribe just took one to the jewels, and, and uh, Francisco Lindor just chuckling to himself over there. But, you know, he came back then, Hubbard, in four straight games. Did you hear his? <laughs> did you hear his response? Someone asked him. I I don't remember who it was, but about wearing a cup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did, you, did you hear his response to that? Yeah. Juan Uribe's response to they asked him, "Why don't you wear a cup over at third base?" He said, "I don't think they make cups in that size." <laughs> that was classic. Oh yeah. So, so he's uh, back. Though. He's healthy. Young Gomes is back. He's healthy. So all's good there. Roberto Perez is throwing, swinging a fungo bat and rehabbing in Arizona as he recovers from his right thumb surgery. And we'll talk about him more in a second, or I guess around or about him in a way. Yeah. The Tribe currently is 44 and 30, good enough for a five-game leader of the Royals. The rotation ERA analysis round three and a half, which is fantastic. They're scoring runs at a higher pace than thought, round 4.8 <clears throat> runs a game. I believe they now have the highest run differential in the American League. Uh, June saw a very good time for Indians fans as they went undefeated at the Jake. 11 wins and wow. no losses. Really? Really. That's a, wow, that's a good month of June. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, they've now won, as I said before, nine straight games. They're also nine for nine and beating the Tigers this year. And that's that's really impressive. Yeah, if you had a chance to watch the game yesterday, the Indians tattooed Justin Verlander to a tune of four home runs in one inning. Yeah, Justin Verlander did not look pleased at how yesterday went. <laughs> no. Uh, Trevor Bauer continues to transform himself. Bauer uh, has been... He has looked more and more like the pitcher that Cleveland fans probably thought they were getting when they made that trade with Arizona. Well, here's some numbers for you. Oh, I love numbers. He's pitching right now currently, so it's going to change a little bit, and he's kind of struggling. This is more of old Bauer <laughs> than new Bauer. <laughs> but in the last month, though, prior to, prior to tonight's game, he had pitched to a two of a 1.42 ERA, 32 strikeouts, in 31 and two-thirds innings pitched with only six walks. Wow. He credited a simplified approach. He has displayed a calm and focused demeanor on the mound. I've watched probably three of his starts. And every single game has been caught by Chris Jimenez. Really? Oh, I did not know that either. So my question for you is, curveball has been absolutely filthy. When Perez comes back and is healthy... Does Perez become the back catcher now, or does the tribe stick with Jimenez, knowing that he's been catching Bauer, and had this sort of rapport going so well? What do you do? Well, I think that's probably uh, a question that really only the Indians can answer, because you would kind of have to be on those discussions on the inside to see like how much is it that they're clicking together. I mean, if Trevor Bauer is saying, "Hey, look." You know, Jimenez is a huge part of why I'm successful. And you want to continue getting performances like this out of Bauer, then, yeah, I think it makes sense to keep Jimenez in that backup role. I mean, the Cubs because, went out and got Ross, specifically for John Lester. Right. It's, and, I mean, you look at, like, what is the difference between, uh, you know, Chris Jimenez and Roberto Perez? Like, I mean, is it going to be that great? And then, so then I would look at, well, what's the difference between Bauer with Jimenez and without him? 
and I would weigh those two factors together, I guess, to determine just how much I would, uh, you know, want to keep Jimenez on the roster. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't realize that Jimenez had kind of become his, I guess I hadn't been paying attention, but he'd kind of become his personal catcher. Yeah. I'm hoping that the success displayed by Bauer transcends who's behind the plate. Obviously. Yeah. But hey, yeah, I mean, you know, Greg Maddox, who who's Greg Maddox's catcher for a while? He had like a uh, guy that caught him all the time. Javier Lopez for a long time. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, guys guys get comfortable with other players. Sure. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know. That'll that'll be uh, something worth keeping an eye on for sure. Yes, definitely. And and Tice game again, you know, I said Bowers pitching tonight and him has behind the plate again, so we'll see. Uh, the alpha, like I said, this year has been a strength, ironically, compared to what we thought it was going to be. And my question for you, how much faith would you have in an outfield led by Jose Ramirez, Tyron Aquin, RJ Davis, and Lion Chisenhall performing as well as or similar to the current rate of play right now? Yeah, my response to that question, had you asked me that at the beginning of the season would be much different than now. We <laughs> we're obviously we are huge Jose Ramirez fanboys. Yes. Around here, but we also looked at Jose Ramirez as an infielder. So if you would have told me at the beginning of the year, yeah, we're going to stick Jose Ramirez in the outfield, my response would be like, "Oh, that's a tough thing to learn how to do on the fly." Yeah, it made me wonder like is this next Luis Valbuena out there, which would be really terrible. We've been, and so as much as we're Jose Ramirez fanboys, I'm probably much more of a Tyler Naquin fanboy. And every time Tyler Naquin hits a home run, I just want to tweet Eric Carabell and tell him, haha, because (laughs) he would just dump on Tyler Naquin. Like, oh, Tyler Naquin, don't need him in any of your leagues. Yeah, Tyler Naquin. Playing playing great so far. Um, Rajai Davis, I don't know how I would have felt at the beginning of the year. Probably just like, oh, he'll steal some bases when he gets on. Um, and Lonnie Chisenhall, I would have expected, you know, great defense from, which I don't think he's actually been that great defensively, but man, he has been on a tear offensively lately. Yes. And he actually has Homer tonight, a three run home run. Wow. Yeah, he is. He is in fuego. Uh, all in all, I guess, how would I feel about that? I would feel much better if Michael Brantley were out there. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I like a Tyler Naquin-led outfield. I do. Jose Ramirez is offensively turning into a very, very quietly good player. Kind of like, like a little Josh Harrison type player, a little Swiss Army knife. for. for I was going to say a Josh Harrison type or a Ben Zobras type. Yeah. Not the same power, obviously, as Zobras, but... But the same f- positional flexibility. Right. Yeah. He's playing third base tonight, actually. I don't know. How do you feel about that outfield? It doesn't... I I guess here's my initial thought when I look at it. It does not give me all the feels on the inside when I hear that, but it doesn't make me want to vomit in my mouth either. Right. I'm kind of torn because constantly there's talk online about you know, who could be in in the search for an outfielder or outfield addition come the all-star break and Cleveland's constantly mentioned. I'm thinking, you know, I understand why they say that, but at the same time, if Brennan comes back and healthy, that's a big boost, obviously. He's a great ball player. At the same time, how do you discount the contributions already made by the current core of outfielders currently playing? Because they're playing very, very well. Yeah, they are. And the energy's there, the chemistry is there. They've taken to their roles very, very well under Tito. You know, if a left-hand pitcher is going to pitch in the ball game, Nick was going to be sitting down. That's just how it is. But Nick knows he might be called upon later on in the game, going there defensively or for a pitch hit. It just seems to be going very, very well now. I don't want to disrupt the momentum, I guess. Yeah, just blow it all up because right. you think you need a better outfielder. And who's really say that someone they acquire is going to be better than what they already have? Right. That's a very, very good point as well. That's for sure. Yeah, sometimes sometimes it works and you get 
you know, like when the Pirates traded for Marlon Bird. Right. That worked out really well for them. And sometimes you get Justin Morneau when the Pirates traded for him, and that did not work out so well. Or Marlon Bird comes to Cleveland and gets the PD special. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to mention that, but he is a dirty cheater. Uh, Next question for you. Okay. Being the Cavs now have done was basically was the impossible. Done the impossible. <laughs> and the Cleveland is red hot, as they currently are, and they're currently winning this game right now by a score of 4-2. So should they win this game, which I hope they do, with will be 10 games in a row, they've won. They currently rank dead last in attendance. So do you think, with their current success, the Cavs season being over, should the Cleveland area expect the increase in attendance or this sort of passive, I don't know, interest in a tribe? I mentioned this at the beginning of the year, and I I think this is I feel strongly about this now. So we've had a few years, you know, we've been doing this podcast for a few years now and really going to games and kind of analyzing a lot of stuff about them. And I don't think I'm out of line when I say, I don't believe Cleveland is a baseball town. I really don't. I, I think whatever magic Cleveland had when they built the Jake is gone now for whatever reason, whether it's a team. <laughs> yeah. Like I just, yeah, I, you know, like you said, you're in the middle of a 10 game win streak. You're leading your division and you're, you're, you can't outdraw Tampa Bay. Yes. Or Oakland. That's, that's obnoxious to me. You know, Pittsburgh had 20 years of losing and had one year of success. And then suddenly they were just, you know, they were selling out the stadium all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I don't like to compare I guess that's 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 not fair to compare like that, but I guess as a Pirates fan, that's how I put it into context. Like you have a really exciting, and you've had a really fun, exciting team to watch the last couple years. You oh, know, yeah. even even though they're not, you know, they you know they didn't necessarily they didn't make the playoffs last year, did they? Were they in the wild card or no? No, they made it yeah. in 2013. Yeah. So, yeah, like they've they've missed the playoffs the last couple years, but like you have Francisco Lindor at the ballpark now. You have a good young core. You have a Cy Young Award winner taking the the mound every five days for you. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to go to the ballpark to watch what's on the field. And I, I don't think Cleveland is a baseball town. I don't think, I don't think the fans of Cleveland appreciate what they have there. Just, I mean, just, and that's just purely a, that's, that's an objective. Well, and they are, it's just to add evidence to that. They are the smallest city to have three major sports teams in the country. Yeah, um okay. I mean I, I can't imagine there the population of Cleveland isn't that much smaller than Pittsburgh, is it? Oh yeah. I think it's only three hundred and some thousand. And Pittsburgh is that now over six hundred thousand. Oh, oh, Cleveland's that small? Yeah. They've lost a lot. <laughs> huh. I'll try to bring it up here quickly, but uh yeah. I when I heard that stat like a year or two ago, I was like, Wow. That's incredible. Yeah, I, oh boy, I don't know that. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, I guess I, I guess I assume Cleveland was hanging right around half a million people. Um, they are at estimated right now to be three hundred and eighty-eight thousand. <laughs> trying to catch up to Erie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I mean, I guess whatever the factors are that that play into why people don't show up at, at the Jake anymore. Like people aren't showing up and you have a good team. You have a fun team to watch. Tito's a good manager. You have a good product on the field, especially this year. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's frustrating yeah. to see them last in attendance like that. Yeah. Ticket prices to me, they're not the most fan friendly, but I think it's part of the problem too. But you know, they have that $13 beer garden ticket, like, and they give you a free uh, free drink with that when you go into they do. Yep. Um, so, I mean, they do some fa- fan-friendly stuff. Yeah. I mean, but... the environment is great. The renovations, this was round two, the uh, renovations from the syntax, as they call it, as they call it in Cleveland, where they're required to by the tax uh, law language 
they cannot spend that money on salaries, but they have to reinvest it in the infrastructure of the building itself. Yeah. So, I mean, they invest a lot of money in redeveloping and redesigning this building to accommodate its, you know, its age a little bit and bring it more into the modern times. So let me ask you this then, as someone who, it, again, does have their finger much more on the pulse of Cleveland sports than I, how do you feel about the Cleveland fans and their attendance? To me, it's disappointing. I think they're missing an opportunity to see or witness a team as young, growing, and showing it better. I mean, it's safe to say Cleveland is not a baseball town, right? So I don't know. I, 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 in a way, it's I agree in a way, and in a way, I, I disagree. Because I've been there at different times throughout my life, and it's been a phenomenal experience. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember going as a kid when they were in the middle of that, you know, sellout street. Oh, yeah. And it was one of the most exciting experiences I'd ever had as far as going to a stadium. I, I just can't put my finger on why they don't go because I've been in, in brew pubs and bars and I can easily chat with the pe- local people there, people attending and serving about the tribe and how they're doing. And they're very much in the know. They just don't always go. So I don't, I don't get the disconnect there. It's just, they're interested, but it's not enough to go watch the game in person. Hmm. Well, it's kind of puzzling a little bit. Yeah, that I'm, is. I'm hoping that as the season and temperatures get warmer and warmer, they play better and better, that they get closer to maybe 20,000 a game, hopefully. That'd be nice. Yeah, they definitely, yeah, like I said, they got a good team. Get out to the stadium, go watch. Yeah. All right. So uh, it's cheap, but it's definitely worth worth it. I'll conclude real fast. But uh, on the farm, catcher Francisco Mejia has been um, promoted to High A Lynchburg Hillcats, and he has also been announced that he will be a member of the or a player participant of the Futures Game come All Star break. Which is great news. Yeah, that's exciting. Brady Aiken, drafted two years ago, made his professional debut on June 20th with the Arizona League Indians. He threw two innings pitch, allowed no hits, no runs, one walk, and three strikeouts, and reportedly hit up to 96 miles per hour with his fastball. Oh, that guy could be <laughs> an absolute And this is interesting. Steal. I'm curious about your thought here. The expectation is they're not going to hold him back. So if he performs well at this level, they're going to go ahead and promote him to the next level and then see how he does there. If he does well there, continue to promote him aggressively. It almost reminds me of the Tiger organization, but maybe not as rapid, I hope. <laughs> yeah, that's it's tough, and this will kind of tie in really well to our uh, little teaser at the end of the episode today, but obviously you want to challenge your players and you want your players playing against the best competition possible in order to help them improve and in order to help them understand how to play against superior talent. But the whole, you know, Tommy John arm problem thing, I, I, I don't even want to call it a thing. I want to call it an epidemic. I guess you probably want to handle players I would err on the side of caution, I guess. And and so I think promoting him aggressively is okay as long as you're managing his pitches and managing his innings and making sure that you're just doing everything you can to keep him healthy. Right. Yeah, I, I, I don't think there's a problem with, with promoting him at all as long as he's meeting the, the challenges at each level and as long as he's learning to pitch. Mm-hmm. I don't know. How do you feel about that? I agree. I, I don't want some guy to become complacent at a level he doesn't feel he could be in challenge. But at the same time, there isn't a major need right now in rotation currently. I mean, every single person in rotation locked into next two, three years. Yeah, that's true. Maybe so there's, not, there's not a need to rush them. It's take a time, let them develop, and then perhaps an injury down the road to one of the guys in rotation now provides a chance for him to go ahead and pitch. Maybe Cleveland looks at him more as an asset than a long-term pitcher. Or maybe they look at one of their current pitchers as an asset and not a... Right. Huh. Yeah, but I mean, 
and we, you know, we talked about this when Cleveland drafted Brady Aiken and, you know, traditionally I don't pay a whole lot of attention to the draft because it's all just such a crapshoot, you know, like I think just to like lend some perspective, Ken Griffey Jr. was the first, I believe the first number one overall pick to be elected to the hall of fame. I'm, I think I'm correct on that. Wow. Um, if it, so, I mean, even your number one overall picks, you know, a lot of times they don't pan out. But, you know, there are some sexy names that every year draw some attention. And Brady Aiken just happened to be one of those names. It just the way that everything worked out with his injury and, um, you know, it, it, it kind of put him on the back burner. And I think Cleveland Gladder had a chance, has a chance to get a real steal. Yeah, it's a high risk, high reward type of assigning. Right. To piggyback on him, and I'll conclude with this, uh, tomorrow and also Wednesday, I'll be heading to Niles, Ohio, to watch the Mahoning Valley Scrappers. Uh, it was announced that Tristan McKenzie, the guy chosen after Aiken in the 2015 draft, will pitch tomorrow night. And then on Wednesday, second-round pick, uh, left-hander Juan Hillman will pitch. So I'll get a chance to see the... Uh, one well, of the top two arms in a tribe system pitched next to Knights. Excellent. You going to be tweeting out some stuff? Well, I, I could possibly. We want some pictures, Red. <laughs> you got to tweet us out some pictures. Okay. Well, that's exciting. Uh, anything else we want to touch on before we move on to Pittsburgh? No. Right that's now, it. it's good. Let's keep it rolling. All right. Roll tribe. Okay. Let's talk a little bit of the Pittsburgh Pirates today. Uh, it's been a while since we recorded. Obviously, we've been a little busy around these parts with babies and whatnot. Um, but since we've last chatted uh, in the most recent series, the pirates took three out of four from the Dodgers. They defeated the modern day Goliath on the mound. Uh, of course, I'm referring to Clayton Kershaw and the David to the Dodgers. Goliath was none other than Mr. Chad. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Let all your cool puns, get them all out while you can. I tried to get them all out on Twitter last <laughs> night. I think I'm officially out of cool puns. Uh, but Chad Cool defeated Clayton Kershaw. Later said that he would not be able to sleep all night because he was just so jazzed up. And it was not like a a dominant performance uh, by any stretch of the imagination for Cool. But Pittsburgh's offense jumped on Kershaw right away. You know, they put up four runs right away. And Cool threw admirably. He allowed three runs. Um, he had five strikeouts. He walked four. Um, across five innings. Um, You never know with players making their first start and, you know, on national television with going up against Clayton Kershaw, who's the, you know, the apex of pitching uh, currently, how much adrenaline and things like that play into pitching. But um, Cool is pumping 97, which, you know, like I'd, I'd read that he, you know, was touching 95. Like that was kind of what you expect. 95 with a little bit of life. Uh, you know, sits like low 90s. And Cool was definitely throwing hard yesterday. And I don't know, did you watch the game last night? I caught part of it. I mean, his pitches had nasty movement to them. He looked good. I mean, it was a, it was a, I don't know if it was a two seamer or a sinking fastball that he throws, but man, it just, it just runs. <laughs> yeah, I think it was a sinker, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure you're right because he's that. 50% ground ball kind of guy. Um, and so I was talking to some friends and they said like, well, you know, what do you think about this Chad cool? And just looking at his numbers and then kind of making some comparisons. Um, you know, I said, you could probably look at him and kind of count him to be like a Charlie Morton, maybe like at, at his best, the number three kind of guy in your rotation. You know, he's not going to strike the world out, but, uh, he should do a good job of keeping the ball in the ballpark. And, um, keeping you competitive in games, I guess. But it was a good it was a good start by Cool, that's for sure. Um, he showed a lot of, he flashed a lot of really interesting stuff, intriguing stuff, uh, to say the least, last night. Um, so, just a couple uh, just a couple notes I want to get to before we we kind of start digging in statistically to the Pirates and the woeful month of June that it has been for them. <laughs> um, couple of points just to make. We talked about the the draft a little bit, but since the last time we've talked, uh, the Pirates signed their first rounder, Will Craig. Um, and they've gone through and they've signed a, a bunch of their other draft picks as well. But it's always nice to get that first rounder taken care of. 
Um, also, since the last time we've talked, Garrett Cole has gone to the DL uh, with the strained triceps. And this has been just like it could not have come at a more inopportune time <laughs> with Pittsburgh struggling. You take the basically the one pitcher who's been pitching well in your rotation and now he can't throw anymore. Um, so as a result, Pittsburgh's made a ton of moves and, you know, shuffling people around. Jamison Talion looks now like he's in the rotation to stay. Um, but they've also made the move that I think has pretty much just killed the, the Cy Young thermometer. Juan Nicasio is now a, what sounds like permanent fixture in the bullpen. Um, he threw, I, I believe two innings today. Um, <laughs> got himself into some trouble, but I mean, he, he pitched well. He, I don't think he ended up, I don't think he ended up giving up any runs today, actually, when he was, he was throwing, but made it a little exciting. Um, but I think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Bob, but isn't this where we thought Nicasio was going to be? Yeah, unfortunately the Cy Young talk is kind of faded. Our, our Cy Young thermometer. I, I said the other day. The Sayong thermometer is bottomed out and the kids are playing with the mercury. There's <laughs> nothing left to the Juan Nicasio Sayong thermometer. It was fun while it lasted. Um, but that's just kind of been, and you know, not to get off, you know, too much on a tangent, but I feel like that's the way that the pirate season has gone all year. And that's why they're in the position that they're in right now, because last year you were hitting on guys like Juan Nicasio. And this year you're missing on guys like Juan Nicasio. You know, last year they got, basically like Cy Young caliber performance out of J.A. Happ, you know, for the last yeah. the last quarter of the season. And this year, you know, Juan Nicasio can't get anybody out. And when you play that game, like Pittsburgh does, you know, you try to find those reclamation projects. Sometimes it's going to work. And sometimes you're going to get J.A. Happ or you're going to get Genmar Gomez uh, or you're going to get Francisco Liriano when he's throwing well. And sometimes you're going to get Juan Nicasio and you're going to get clunkers. Um, it, that, that's, that's just the, the price of doing business, I guess, when you're a small market team. On a more positive note, because I feel like I've been super negative talking about the Pirates, uh, Jamison Tyon has been, I, I would say, solid since he's come up. Um, he threw eight shutout innings against the Mets. Um, he didn't give up a hit until the seventh inning, um, when he surrendered a hit to Curtis Granderson. He he only walked one in that start. He had five strikeouts, great two seam movement, uh, fantastic curveball. I mean, he had like a Trevor Bauer esque curveball. Ooh. I mean, it was, it was like a nasty, like 12 to six, but like a sharp break on it, you know? And that game against the Mets, he had an 80% ground ball rate too. I mean, he was, he was just. Firing on all cylinders, Red. Now, since then, his last two starts against the Dodgers and Cubs have not gone as well. Um, both of his starts, he's only lasted four innings in each. Uh, surrendered four earned runs. He's walked one and given up eight hits in each of those games. They are very, very... If you go look at his game log, they're very... <laughs> not pretty games, and they're both very similar type games. Um, the major difference, I would say, against the Cubs, he surrendered three home runs, which is not a habit that I want tie on getting into and you know we've talked about this ad nauseum on the podcast but the pirates bread and butter when you talk about pitching what do the pirates do better than anything else bob and just ground balls yeah they keep the ball in the park and you, you never really know what the what what creates the home run but <clears throat> i certainly hope it's something that that was addressed because you know, that 80% ground ball rate <laughs> was much nicer than giving up three home runs to the Cubs. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of where we're at with the pitching staff right now. It's, I don't want to say a total mess, but it's not pretty. It's not good. It's not Cleveland's pitching staff. How about that? Ooh, yeah. I, actually, I went to the Pirates game on the 21st because of Giants. And I sat through a four-hour bombshell as I got destroyed by, what, 15 to 4? Just getting teed off on. Oh, it was bad. In fact, actually, it was kind of neat, though. Uh, Eric Kratz came in to pitch. <laughs> was that, that was the game he came in to pitch? Top of the ninth. And Throwing I, the knuckleball? Yeah. 
Well, he, he struck out um, Brendan Belt, actually. <laughs> for the first bat of the game, that's pretty awesome. Oh, but Casa became the first, I think, catcher to appear as a pitcher for two different teams in the same season, I think, ever. Uh, I want to say it was since, like, 1927 or something like okay. that. Or, you know, it might have been... It, yeah, you might be right. It might have been the first catcher ever to do it, and then it was the first player since 1927. Or I can't remember how the stat was, but, yeah, it's been a long, long time since someone's done that. Yeah, that's kind of wild. There's a fun fact for you. That was the highlight of my game experience. <laughs> that was, yeah. The food and that are pretty much going to be the best part of going to the stadium in a 15-4 to route. Oh, so can we talk about something that's going to be a little hard to talk about, Bob? Ooh, here we go. It It's emotionally damaging to me to talk about it, but I feel like in order to get past it, we have to address it. We can't just keep ignoring this elephant in the room. That is? Andrew McCutcheon. We, we have to acknowledge this 2016 season. It's, I think it's hurt, personally. You know, we talked about that with uh, Kutch last year when he yep. started off slow and he kept saying everything was fine. Everything was fine. And then we get to spring training this year and he goes, well, yeah, last year this and this was bothering me. And da, 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 da. I think though, the thing that you have to consider is if you're hurt and you're performing like this, you're probably going to do your team more good going on the DL for 15 days and getting yourself right. Mm-hmm. Now we had already talked about, I think it was his thumb that was bothering him. And they, they said that, you know, whatever that issue was that they're addressing it. And since then he's, you know, he went on to hit two home runs the other night against the Dodgers, but you can look, you can look at his numbers this year and they're, they're alarming. Have you looked at his, his numbers? I have but go back to the two run home or two home runs. Sorry. He changed his walk up music to Adele also. Yes. Contributing factor. Yes. <laughs> That's what we call a contributing factor. Um, his numbers this year are just not cutch like. So he's a a career twelve percent basically a career twelve percent walker down to nine point four this year. Career seventeen point eight percent strikeout rate. He's striking out twenty five percent of the time this year, Bob. Too yeah, much. that's bad. Bad. He's traditionally a high BABIP guy. I think because he makes such hard contact. A three thirty three career BABIP for cutch this year two ninety two. I mean, you can go across the board, and he's down everywhere. He's his triple slash 240, 316 on base. Like that's ridiculous. Cutches a, you know, he's like a 400 on base guy. Um, slugging 417. If I can add to your numbers here, the month of June so far, 86 at bats, 29 strikeouts. That's bad. Yeah. That's very, very bad. Is it 198 the month of June? I mean, it would be nice if some if it was something that was physically wrong because I think at least that would explain why he's been so bad. You know, like I said, Kutch makes amazingly hard contact. So, you know, he's like a... Basically, like, he, the last few seasons he's made... He's at a 40% hard contact rate, so when he hits the ball, he stings it 40% of the time. This year, that number is down to 33.8. So he's not hitting the ball as hard as he usually is. His soft contact rate up from last year was 13% soft contact. This year, up to 20%. I mean, there's definitely something there because when he hits the ball, he's not hitting it as hard. And I don't think it's just, you know, everybody's saying like, oh, the age 30 season, he's getting... I, I don't think it happens like that. You don't just turn 30 and, you know, dip like that. I agree. So, I mean, it would seem to make sense if it was, you know, an injury and that was why. I don't know. Here's here's the emotionally difficult part to talk about, though, Bob. Because, of course, Kutch is struggling. The Pirates are struggling. Kutch is locked up to a great team-friendly deal. And what does the media go ahead and do in the middle of all of this nonsense? Oh, my goodness. Is now the time to trade Kutch? Well, oh, it's just stirring the pot like the media does with everything. And it drives oh. me insane. Drives me insane. Kutch is locked up to this amazingly team-friendly deal, like $14 million through 2018. We have him this season, next season, and the season after that for under $20 million. 
Now, I understand because I get the economics of baseball and and I understand. I I would understand why you would do it, but it's not. We're not at that point with the Pirates. I I just I don't think you're there where you're ready to retool because tra- like trading Kutch right now means we're rebuilding. Right. Trading Kutch might now might mean that we're rebuilding for like the next two to three years because you're not going to be in that next phase of your franchise until Austin Meadows is ready to come up. And why don't you trade Kutch now on the heels of just re-signing to extension Cervelli? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, when we're talking about rebuilding with Pittsburgh, which is you know, a perfectly fair thing to talk about because Pittsburgh is like their playoff chances. I think last time I looked are like 12%. Like they're just so far behind the division and they're falling further and further behind the wild card. When you talk about trading pieces off, you trade off pieces like David Fries Mm -hmm. or, uh, I don't know who would be like another, like Sean Rodriguez or, you know, you trade off pieces like that. Juan Nicasio. Yeah. Juan Nicasio. Or even, you know, Mark Melanson, I think, is in play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't trade... You don't trade your cornerstone player. You don't trade the face of your franchise and the player that's represented you, you know, turning your, your franchise around. You don't do that unless you're just, I think, burning it down. Like you're going, like, Chicago Cubs-style rebuild. And I don't think Pittsburgh's there. They're, I, I still think they're too good to do that. I don't know. What do you think as far as... <clears throat> I agree with all that. I think... I, I really do hint or suspect there's an injury that's impeding you know, the performance of McCutcheon. I also believe that what Huntington has done so far has enabled the franchise to have success for another two, three, four years consistently be competitive and to go ahead and trade McCutcheon now is just so out of touch with that philosophy, I think approach. And Huntington, I mean, it got so heavy in the media ESPN. I want to say Buster Olney wrote a piece about it. I mean, it got so heavy that Huntington came out and said, we're not trading Andrew McCutcheon. (laughs) Now I will say Huntington also said the same thing about Nate McClouth when they signed Nate McClouth to like a three-year deal. <laughs> and then he traded him that offseason. But for the time being, it sounds like... Well, we also know Nate McClouth isn't McCutcheon. <laughs> that's a very valid point also. <laughs> I mean, Nate McClouth was Andrew McCutcheon before there was an Andrew McCutcheon because he was the best player on the Pirates before Andrew McCutcheon got there. But they traded Nate McClouth to make room for Andrew McCutcheon. Um, yeah, so... I. I mean, it, it sounds like everything that people are talking about with the Kutch trade is all speculation. It doesn't sound like there's a whole lot of substance to it. And I, I, I just, I don't think we're there. Now, if, if you're talking about, and this is just, again, a purely hypothetical, there's nothing to this also. And I, I don't know that I saw Neil Huntington refute this, but I don't know that he's really needed to. But, um, I mean, if you're going to trade away a piece, I really think you want to take a look at trading away like a Garrett Cole type player mm-hmm. before you trade away an Andrew McCutcheon type player. Just I my, my personal feeling like Garrett Cole, you're going to get three more good years out of, and he's going to be a good, I don't think he's an ace. I don't think he's a Chris sale, but he's whatever that next group of pitchers is underneath that group of aces. You know what I mean? He's not the, he's not the Arietta, the uh, Madison Bumgardner, the Chris sale, like that caliber, but he's that next group down. Um, yeah, and you have three controllable years of him. And I think, you know, you can look at this season and you figure this season's a wash. You know, where does your strength lie as a franchise? Well, you've got Talion, you've got Glasnow, you've got, you know, Chad Cool, you've got Francisco Liriano for another year, I think. Um, yeah, maybe you look at like, okay, we need a quick rebuild. We can trade Garrett Cole you know, maybe restock the farm system like that. And there'd been, you know, I'd seen the same kind of, the same people on ESPN that were talking about the cut trade were the same people that were talking about, well, should the Pirates trade Garrett Cole? 
Um, so I don't think it's necessarily a thing that Pittsburgh feels like they have to do. But if you were going to make a move, I would much rather that you trade Garrett Cole, who you don't have a chance of re-signing at all, uh, as opposed to Andrew McCutcheon, who is the face of your franchise. I agree with that. And okay. also helping making the case for Cole, too, is for the most part, he's been pretty much healthy his whole career, hasn't he? Mm, he's had short stints on the DL. Like, I, I think this is probably... But no, no long-term injury, though. No Tommy John, yeah. No so, Tommy John. And this day and age, this epidemic that we referred to earlier, right? maybe you sell high. Yeah. You can't resign him, basically. Now Scott Boris at the helm. Yeah, cash <laughs> cash in your chips. <laughs> um, so the last thing I want to talk about are the Pirates' struggles. So, you know, if you're watching the Pirates at all, you've seen the disaster that is the month of June. Um, the Pirates' offense had been a real strength for the team this season. And it was kind of a reversal from how the last couple years had gone, which was the pitching had been great. And then you were just kind of getting like steep peaks and then deep valleys from the offense. Well, this year the offense was clicking. Um, you can still look at their offense and they're fifth, basically fifth overall in baseball. According to fan graphs, they are um, the, the fifth best team according to war on fan graphs offensively. <laughs> now in the month of June, that number is uh, <laughs> drastically worse because Overall in baseball, they're the fifth best, but in the month of June, they have the fifth worst war in all of baseball. Their offense is producing uh, 1.5 wins above replacement for the month of June. That's bad. That's bad. Really bad. Just to lend some perspective, their triple slash offensively in the month of June, 231, 302, 374. Ugh. Yeah. So you couple that with the pitching woes, and when I say pitching woes, I mean it's it's bad everywhere. It's bad. Yeah. It's like a, like a CSI crime scene, bad. They're pitching. It's a train wreck. They're pitching <laughs> in the month of June next to last. So thankfully they're not the worst. Their pitching is basically just replacement level. They're worth a 10th of a win as, uh, uh, an entire staff for the month of June. So basically you look at the pirates offensively in pitching and they're 1.6 wins above replacement for the month of June. And that kind of explains where they're at. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's not hard to see why they're struggling. They are bad offensively and they're bad pitching wise. They've been bad pitching all season. Their offense has just really struggled in June. And that's how we end up where we're at, Bob. <laughs> got, that, got that right. It's tough. It's been tough to watch baseball the month of June. I tell you, there's the last couple of days. There have been times where I'm changing diapers and looking down at the diaper and thinking, this is a metaphor for the season. I just, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's tough to watch. Very, very tough to watch. So I, I hate to end on such a negative note. I wish I had something positive to say. Okay. Well, that in mind, then we'll, we'll kind of further the pot a little bit. We're not going to invoke any possible trades, but yeah, that's trade talks. Nonsense. It, it, with the, I guess, likelihood of a playoff, appearance by the Buccos this year would you decide to wait longer on the development of a Josh Bell and uh Glass now or would you bring them up sometime I think when you're when you're looking at prospects and Pittsburgh always thinks about years of control so you think about years of control we're past the super two deadline presumably at this point in the year Mm -hmm. um so now you're looking at players developmentally and we know Josh Bell is bad defensively. Like he's making the transition from right field to first base. And but he can't hit though. He is he's hitting very well. But I think we've seen with Pedro Alvarez. You need to make sure that you're careful when you're pushing guys who might not be ready defensively. You know, the same thing kind of goes for for Tyler Glasnow. You know, with Tyler Glasnow, the numbers look beautiful. You, you know, and you watch some of his start, you know, like I watch his starts on mm-hmm. minor league TV and he does, he, there's times where he looks dominant, but then you can watch and you'll see like, like the first batter of the game, he'll walk the first batter on four pitches and he'll throw two fastballs in the dirt, spike a curveball in the dirt and then throw one like up and away. 
and you're like, oh, that's why Pittsburgh has him down here. You know, his walk rate's high. They, for years, have been talking about how they want him to work on getting a better pickoff move to first base to kind of help hold the runners on. I mean, there's stuff that Tyler Glasnow can work on. And I think if you're Pittsburgh and you're this far out of it, there's no point in rushing them. As long as you're telling them specific things that you want to see them work on developmentally. You know what I mean? Like, you you don't want them to feel like, you know, and Francisco Lindor talked about this at length. He said when he was down in Columbus, he felt like he was trapped. And he said it was hard for him to play because he couldn't concentrate because he felt like he should be in Cleveland. And I think you need to be, I, I do think there's a psychological aspect where you need to be in tune with your players and what's best for them. And you can look at Tyler Glasnow, and I fully understand. He could learn to do what he needs to do at the major league level. So you just need to decide as a franchise, is that the best place for him to learn how to do it? Is the best place for Tyler Glasnow to learn to control his pitches in PNC Park, or is it down in Indianapolis? That's what right. you really need to decide. And I was gonna have that part of it is like if he can dominate the way he has dominated, at what point does he become complacent a little bit and say, Well, it's kinda of boring. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean it's you hear players talk about it a lot, especially your like your elite level players. You know, your your Tyler Glasnow's, your Francisco Lindor's, your Garrett Coles. You know, those type of players, they talk about the competition and they talk about how And what compete. Yeah. They want to be at the show competing. Um so I, I think just as a general manager, you need to be in tune with that. Does, yes or no question, does Glasnow make his debut this season? Yes. Yes, he does. Does Josh Bell make his debut this season? Yes, he does. But I would put the caveat that rosters also expand. And, I mean, if it hasn't happened before, then it will definitely happen then. Okay. If Pittsburgh was in the thick of it, Glasnow would be up there right now. Like, if Pittsburgh hadn't had this month of June, I think Glasnow would be in that rotation. You know, if Pittsburgh was five games back from the Cubs, mm-hmm. I don't think we would be waiting on Glasnow. I think he would be taking his lumps in Pittsburgh, and they would try and push his talent to to make their team as competitive as possible. But I think the fact that Pittsburgh has just, you know, put themselves so far out of it, I think you can choose to take your time with Glasnow and maybe do what's best for him developmentally. Right. I don't know. Was that a positive way to end that? I don't. Was that was that any more positive? I feel like it was a, a slightly more positive than talking about how bad they were. I think the the you know the what to walk away from the whole thing is Pittsburgh is still in a very very optimal position to be in. Yeah. It just things haven't gone the way they were going to suppose it this year. It reminds me a lot of last year's Indians team. That's, oh, that's what I was just about to say. The Indian, yeah. The same oh thing God. with the Indians. So frustrating last year. Like, this is a good team. We're not performing. With the Indians, too, you know, you could see it with, and, you know, we talked about this quite a bit. You know, when they missed on those contracts with Swisher and Bourne, oh. like, it, it takes a long time to recover from that. And they're still not fully recovered from that. They're, still, <laughs> they're still paying Chris Johnson's salary this year. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, when you... You know, when you make moves like that, especially as a small mid-market franchise, you can't miss on guys like that. And when Pittsburgh misses on Juan Nicasio and Francisco Liriano's, you know, clunking through this season the best that he can, you know, if you don't call up your reinforcements, this is what's going to happen to you. Right. Yep. I mean, if Nicasio is pitching to the tune of like a 2.25 ERA and Liriano's pitching the way that he has the last couple seasons in Pittsburgh... Yeah, this is probably a much different conversation that we're having. <laughs> I'm sure of it. Yeah. Oh, well, that's baseball, right? That's why we watch it. That's why yep. you got you to gotta appreciate the highs while you got them. That's right. Those are coming at some point. My dad always said, you never get too high, never get too low. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Just try and stay nice and even keeled about it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, so the last thing I want to talk about before we wrap up, uh, Bob and I are going to be having a conversation over the next few weeks. If you would like to join the Tri-State of Mind book club, <laughs> I just invented that right now. We don't have any official meetings other than when this podcast is released. But Bob and I are going to be reading The Arm by Jeff Passan. Uh, I've already started this book, and I have to say it's absolutely phenomenal. I'm about 40% of the way through the book. I know 40% because I read on my Kindle. 
and it tells me the percentage of the book. <laughs> uh, amazing book. Talks a lot about, you know, the, the Tommy John epidemic in baseball. And uh, it, it really lends some perspective, I guess, to what these pitchers go through and what it's like to experience something like that. Um, I don't know. You're, you're going to be gone for the next couple weeks, right, Bob? Yes. I'll be gone uh, Friday and I'll be hitting up a Portland Sea Dogs baseball game actually on uh, July 16th. I'll come back on the 17th. You got to make sure you tweet all these out, Bob. I know. We want to see what is Bob doing on these (laughs) trips. Uh, Bob's going to be, Bob's going to, I'm going to make sure Bob is tweeting a lot of pictures out of all these stadiums he's going to. Um, so you're going to get plenty of reading done while you're on these trips, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah. It's, it's mostly a very leisure, relaxing trip. Yeah. Yes. So if you want to join our Tri-State of Mind book club, we're going to be reading this book over the next couple weeks. When Bob returns in a few weeks, we're going to talk about The Arm by Jeff Passan. You can chime in with your two cents on Facebook or uh, hit us up on Twitter when we're talking about it. I've, it might be like a whole episode just dedicated to The Arm because it's that great of a book. That's um, pitching. That's yeah, which is your one true love. Yes, you're going to love talking about that. Um, so something to a uh, little homework for you to do over the next couple weeks if you want to join our uh, Tri-State of Mind book club. We'll have a little pop-up culture when we get back talking about that. Okay, that's going to wrap us up for today. Uh, we appreciate our listeners, and we would ask if you're listening to us on iTunes that you give us a rate and review. Um, we're podcasting, again, as frequently as we can with all of these life changes that are going on. So uh, no promises that it'll be like every week, but we're going to try and get them out there uh, the best of we can as close to weekly as we can. In the meantime, you can check us out on the web at www.tsmbaseball.com. You can email us, tristatebb at tsmbaseball.com. You can follow us on the Twitter at tristatebb. And you can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash tsmbaseball. So for Bob Finkbinder, this is Andy Burdick, and we look forward to talking to you soon.